Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We've got several more weeks in this study of Galatians on faith under fire. And um, oh, while you're turning there, someone asked me about the books on the table back here. These books are for you to use. Um, if you see one that catches your fancy, take it, read it, bring it back, or put some more in. If you have books that you're not using now, these are Christian books, so, you know, for blessing the church. We don't want just every, everything, but um, if you've got some books you want to donate, give them to us and we'll make sure they get out. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I just want to share today a, a message about Christian liberty is freedom to serve. And if you look at the, um, the towels up there, that's not for bathing. That's supposed to represent washing people's feet or serving. Our husbands, that means every now and then you can wash the dishes or you could fold the laundry. So however that picture means serve to you, that, that's why it's up there. Stand firm in your freedom Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 and we're just going to go through these verses one by one or some of them will lump together verse 5 or chapter 1 chapter 5 verse 1 excuse me stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage so here Paul is saying at the beginning of this section, stand fast in freedom or stand fast in your liberty because Jesus has made us free. John 8.36 says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. We have a liberty, we have a freedom because of the gospel, because of our salvation, that we need to make sure that we stand firm in that. We don't let anybody take it away. If we turn away from the freedom we have in Jesus, it's like we are putting Jesus back on the cross to be crucified again. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 says this, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift, 
have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So these scriptures are talking, what Paul is saying is, when we who are partakers of the freedom of God want to go back under and do things and work our way to heaven and say that we have to add things to the gospel to be saved, he says it's like we are crucifying Christ all over again. The other thing in verse 1 he says is our liberty is from Christ. You have to understand that. Your liberty doesn't come from attending this church. You know, we have some uh, membership forms there. If you want to be a member of CIC, we invite you to be a member. But that doesn't bring you liberty. Being a member is what saves you. Our liberty comes from Christ. Once we are in Christ, we are free from the rights and the requirements of the ceremonial law. Aren't you glad you didn't have to stop by the market and get a dove or a lamb to come to church today? We're free of those. We don't have to keep the feast and all of the, the ceremonial law. We are free from the physical drudgery of the sacrifices and all of that. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most exciting parts of being a Christian for me is Abba, Father. Now, I had a really good relationship with my father. Some people don't. So I have a wonderful image of what father is to be. But if you didn't have a good relationship with your earthly father, I've got good news for you. Your heavenly father can make up all the difference because he is our Abba Father. And then it says, Paul says in verse 1 that the last thing is the law brings a yoke of bondage. In Acts 15.10, Peter is talking and he says this, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Here Peter is before the council in Jerusalem. They're talking about what the Gentiles have to do to be saved. And he's saying, look guys, you can't put all of these ceremonial things upon them because our forefathers weren't able to keep them. We're not able to keep them. Jesus has set us free, so don't try to put these things on people. And then verses 2 through 4, Paul gives a stern warning. He says, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keeping the whole law. 
You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Paul is telling the Galatians here, if you add anything like circumcision to your salvation, Christ will not reward you. Now, for us today, that isn't something that we would ever say needed to be done for salvation, but in that day it was. Today we talk about you have to serve the church, you have to read your Bible, you have to pray, you have to do all of these things to check off all of these boxes so that you can know that you're saved. No, we are saved, as Dell and I have said all along for the last 11 weeks, you're saved by Jesus plus nothing. We add nothing to our salvation. Now this is not saying that there's anything wrong with circumcision or anything wrong with these things that we do for God. We just cannot say they are required for salvation because salvation is only through faith in Jesus. And Paul also says if we add something to the gospel, if we take part of the law and add it to the gospel, then we have to keep the entire law. We don't get to pick and choose. And then at the end of those verses, he says, if you turn back to bondage again, that we separate ourselves from Christ and we are no longer under grace. That frightens me because I don't know about you, but every day I need God's grace to survive. Every time I get on the road, I need God's grace. Amen? Every morning when I get up or I go to a government office, I need God's grace. And when I try to work my way, into heaven, when I try to do things to please God other than just believing His Word and believing in Jesus, I am pulling myself out from under the umbrella of God's grace. Verses 5 and 6, Paul talks about the essentials of Christianity. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. We are saved by faith. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we have hope for the future. All of that is given to us at the moment of salvation. We're saved by faith, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and have hope. For the future. See, once we are in Christ, we are not judged by what we do. We're judged by faith, working in love. And I want you to notice in these scriptures that love is not passive, love is active, or faith working by love. Love is the channel for our faith to be a blessing to those around us. When we love people, 
we bless them. Has anyone ever heard of Augustus Toplady? Great guy, if you ever get a chance to read some of his stuff. He was a, um, a cleric, an Anglican cleric, and a hymn writer. He's best known for the hymn he wrote in 1763, and many of you know it, called Rock of Ages. You ever heard of that one? Here's something that he said about faith and love. He said, faith and love are the two arms and the two eyes without which Christ can neither be seen nor embraced. He also said, faith and love are the two conduits that are laid from the Christian soul to the fountain of living waters, fetching in from thence the daily supply of such grace as will certainly end with the fullness of glory. So he says, faith and love work together. It's faith and love that allows us to see Jesus and to embrace him. He says, faith and love is what reaches out from my spirit to the fountains of the waters of life in heaven and allows me to partake of the heavenly goodness of God. And then Paul goes on and uses a athletic illustration next in verses 7 through 9. He says, focus on the race. He said, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul is telling them that you started the race so well. When I came to you and preached the gospel and you accepted Jesus, you started running, but now you're letting people persuade you. You're getting your attention off of the finish line and you're looking at other things and it's distracting you. I remember when I was in high school, there was a young man that was a wonderful runner. He was a, a miler, ran the one-mile race, and he was expected to win the state championship. And the athletic event before the state championship, in the qualifying event, if he won this and everybody knew he was going to win it, then he would go on to the state finals. And the race started, and he was way ahead of everybody else. He could have stopped and walked across the finish line and won. But he got distracted because his girlfriend was sitting in the stands, and she jumped up and started shouting because she knew he was going to win. And he was almost to the finish line, and he looked up to see her, and he tripped. Took a nosedive right in. And when I was in high school, our tracks weren't made out of rubber like they are now. They were dirt and covered with cinders. Well, when he got up, blood running down, and... Everybody passed him. His knees were all bloody. His face was all bloody. And I think he came in like fifth or sixth in the race. That's what Paul's talking about here. Okay, you started so good. 
everything's good. You're almost to the finish line. Don't get your eyes on something in the stands that distracts you. Because if you do, you're going to trip. Another friend of mine, Ben Holloway, he wanted to be so bad a track star. And so he was a hurdler. You know the hurdles? Well, he wasn't an A-string hurdler or a B-string hurdler or a C-string hurdler. Ben was a D-string hurdler. So they got to their first race, and here's all the D-stringers from all of the different schools lined up, and the starting pistol goes off, and they go. And Ben says he gets up, and that first hurdle looked to be about 20 feet tall. And he put his foot up, and the first thing to hit was his shin. He didn't even get his foot over the hurdle. And bam, onto the track. And he's laying there all, you know, injured and everything. And all of a sudden, he hears from the stands, Get up! Get up! Get up. And he opens his eyes and he starts to get up and he looks over and every de-hurdler is in the same position he is. <laughs> All of them missed the first hurdle and they're laying flat. So they all get up and they all kind of walk around the next hurdle. And they, but they finish the race. Even if you fall, even if you mess up, you have people in heaven. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And Jesus, our coach, is saying, get up. Get up. Because we can do it. Hebrews, uh, excuse me, Philippians 3.14 says that I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. In this race, we have to keep pressing on and pressing on. How many of you ever run a long-distance race? Anybody? You know, after a while, you start off really good, but after a while, your legs and your body start telling your mind, are you crazy? You know, what do you think you're doing? You know, it would be really nice if you would just sit down here on the curb and um, rest a while. But we keep going, we keep pressing on. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I remember when I was in track, when I used to be about 100 pounds lighter than I am now, and about... 50 years younger than I am now, I love to run. Now, when we would practice and when we were training, we had two-pound um, sandbags that we put around our wrist, and we carried two-pound barbells, and we would run like that to build up our endurance and build up our strength. But not one race that was the real race did we ever get out and line up on the track 
with the sandbags around our ankles or the barbells in our hands. We laid aside those weights that we had used to build up our endurance, but we didn't run with them. And that's what Paul is saying here, the writer of Hebrews. Lay those things aside so that you can run your best race. Because it doesn't take much leaven to make a loaf of bread rise. I remember one time when I was a kid, my mom let me help her make bread. And she made beautiful loaves of bread. She'd have them coming out of the oven just as my brother and I got home from school. And she would bake one loaf just for us and we would cut it long ways. And we'd put a whole stick of butter in the middle and put the top back on it. And then we would split it. And that was our snack getting off the bus. But one day she let me make, help her make bread. And I thought if, you know, this little quarter teaspoon of yeast or whatever that she put in the dough made a loaf like this, what if I put, I mean, I want a big loaf. So I put like a couple of teaspoons of yeast. Well, it made a big loaf all over the oven, all over the burner. And then I had to work real hard to get her oven clean. It doesn't take much yeast to make a loaf of bread. And here, it doesn't take much influence from the outside to get us off course. Acts 17.11 says, These men, he's talking about the men of Berea, these were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Make sure that you take time to study the scripture for yourselves and to know that what you hear and what you read lines up with God's word. If you have questions about anything that I preach or anything that Pastor Dell preaches, please let us know. Let's discuss it. Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Dell and I are not perfect. Is that okay that your pastor's not perfect? We're human. Every now and then we can make mistakes. But after the lesson last week, I had a discussion out in the lobby about something that I said and we were able to discuss it and explain it and came to an understanding. So please, your job is to make sure that you study this book for yourself so that you know that what Dell and I preach is from the Word of God and the truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you are getting off course, and to correct you by his word. So you need to be careful what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, because it doesn't take much leaven to get us off course. Verse 10, Paul has confidence in these people. He says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul's confidence rested in the Lord 
who would work in their lives. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace who brought us our who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Philippians chapter two, verses twelve to thirteen. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is the one by his spirit that helps us to know what he wants us to do and then gives us the power and the strength, the ability and the resources that we need to do what he's called us to do. For it is God that works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So Paul says, I, okay guys, here's this whole book I've written to you telling you all of this stuff that you don't want to do. You don't want to get trapped in all of these things of trying to work yourself, do good things, and that's what gets you to heaven. He says, now I just want to let you know I've got confidence in you. But more than that, I've got confidence in your God. That he will see you through. What God has called you to do, God will help you to fulfill it. As we talked last week, the problem with Abraham was he wasn't patient enough to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. He tried to do it himself. And I've done that many times, and I can, let me just give you some advice. Don't do it yourself, it never works out right. One of the things I found out is if I start a ministry and God didn't tell me, I've got to take care of it, I've got to maintain it, I've got to pay for it, because it's mine, not his. But if he's leading and guiding, he will always provide And then the next little section in verse 11 and 12, Paul deals with some false accusations made against him. He said, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, in Acts chapter 16, Paul had Timothy circumcised so that he could go with him to Jerusalem and minister to the Jews in Jerusalem. And it looks like these Judaizers are accusing Paul, hey, you're a hypocrite because you had Timothy circumcised and now you're telling the other Gentiles they don't have to be. See, Timothy was half Jew, half Greek. And Paul had him circumcised so that he could minister to the Jewish people not to be saved. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, Paul talks about this a bit. He says, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. 
And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law that I may win those who are under the law. And to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partakers of it with you. What Paul is saying is he tried to identify with people so that he could help lead them to Christ. Let me give you a an illustration. When I grew up, the only way I ever drank tea was with a lot of sugar and a lot of ice in it, iced tea. And then we went to Africa, to Kenya, where they drink hot tea with milk. Who ever heard of drinking hot tea with milk? Tea's supposed to be sweet and full of ice. My culture. But I'm not in my culture anymore. So I learned to drink hot tea with milk, and now I love it. Why? Because it wasn't very good witness as a missionary in Kenya to go to a Kenyan's house and not drink chai. That's a very simple illustration, okay? But we need to try to fit in with the society where God has called us to minister so that we can better witness to them. And that's what that was the reason Paul had Timothy circumcised, not to be saved, but so that he could minister to these other people. Paul was really being persecuted because he was preaching that Christ, the cross of Calvary, was the power of God unto salvation. And let me read you 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25. For Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's why Paul was being persecuted. Because he was saying it is the power of the cross, not the law that saves you. Verse 12, Paul comes with some strong sarcasm and some very strong words to these Judaizers. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would then cut themselves off. In the Weist word studies of the New Testament, it tells us that the word cut off actually means bodily mutilation. So Paul is saying, let these people who want to make the Gentiles be circumcised to be saved. He says, don't let them just stop at circumcision. 
Let them go all the way. Let them do complete mutilation of the flesh. Let them become eunuchs like the priest in that area were eunuchs. And he's saying that you understand what that is and that doesn't help those priests come to God and it won't help you to become circumcised to come to God because it is only through faith. And then it greatest part of this chapter is the next part I believe verses 13 and 14 liberty to serve by love for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word even this you shall love your neighbor as yourself He's saying here, be careful what you do with your freedom. Okay? We need to be careful that our freedom in Christ doesn't cause someone else to stumble. 1 Peter 2, 15 to 17. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, and honor the king. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. And then Romans 13, 8, no, Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another fulfilled the law. See, in the body of Christ, we are to be servants to each other. We are never to be masters of one another. Love fulfills the law. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And when we love one another based on the love of God, then we will not use our liberty as an opportunity for selfish purposes. And then Paul finishes off in verse 15. And he says, this is the evil outcome if you do these things. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. False teaching leads to bitter disputes, backbiting, and eventual destruction of the cross. Church strife does not come from the truth of the gospel, but from perverting the gospel, and we are called to serve one another, not to fight one another. And as I finish, let me ask you some important questions. But I'm going to put these in the first person because I want to ask them to me, and I want you to ask them to yourself. Will I point my love and my freedom toward others? Or toward myself? Am I motivated in my heart and my mind for the good of others? And then the last thing, what do my actions prove about my motives? I can say that yes, in my mind and in my heart, I'm motivated to help other people, but then my actions show something different. God has made us free free to serve. I can't remember who said it, 
one of the books I read says, God saved us from slavery to become a servant. Think about that. God has saved us from the slavery of sin to become a servant one for another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you have given us Christian liberty. Liberty of faith, liberty of love, liberty. But you've given it to us to serve one another, not to serve ourselves. Father, I ask that you would help us even this coming week on the job and as we go about our daily activities to help us to just come to you and say, Father, show me today who I can serve. Help me to be a witness by someone that I serve this week. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus came not to be served, but he came to serve. And we are created in your image. Father, you have made us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Father, help us and thank you, thank you, thank you that we are free to serve one another. We give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you